Welcome to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of me, Rick Lee James. I'm a recording artist, a singer, songwriter, an author, a worship leader, and an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene. The Voices in My Head podcast is your source for discussions on music, literature, movies, pop culture, theology, and more. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the latest episode of the Voices in My Head podcast. And don't forget to let the voices in your head be heard by following me on Twitter at Rick Lee James and sharing your thoughts about today's show. Welcome back to the Voices in My Head podcast. As always, I am your host, Rick Lee James, and I am excited to be bringing to you today our 200th episode. I guess we'll call it a celebration because that's a lot of episodes that we have under our belt here on Voices in My Head. And I'm really thrilled about my guest today. We are on location at Temple Shalom here in Springfield, Ohio, and my guest is Rabbi Kerry Cosberg. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him, and then we're going to share a conversation together. Uh, Rabbi Kerry Cosberg is the is a board-certified chaplain and an active member of the National Association of Jewish Chaplains, having received that organization's Chaplain of the Year Award in 2012. Well done. Congratulations. Uh, Rabbi Cosberg is a past chair of the Forum on Religious Spirituality and Aging, a constituent group of the American Society of Aging, and a past editor of Forces Quarterly Newsletter. A published author and poet, he has presented workshops and seminars around the country, and is a nationally recognized resource on spiritual, emotional, and psychological challenges that face older adults and their families. His many publications include Honoring Broken Tablets, A Jewish Approach to Dementia, The Whole World is Full of God's Glory, In Broken Fragments, Jewish Experiences of Alzheimer's Disease Through Diagnosis, Adaptation, and Moving On, and many other resources. He is also currently serving as the Rabbi of Temple Shalom here in Springfield, Ohio, and he has also been the Director of Religious Life of the Wexner Heritage Village, a senior residential care facility in Columbus, Ohio, from 1989 to 2015. And his bio actually goes on and on and on. It's very impressive, and I'd love to share more with you, but I don't have time today, so uh, we'll just have to tell you more about that later. But uh, Rabbi Cosberg, thank you so much for being the oh, guest Rick, today. Thanks for having me here. It's a, it's a pleasure and an honor. I look well, forward to this. Well, this is a, a first time for me to get to actually come beyond the, the outer corridors of your temple here. I used to live right next door in the apartment complex. Oh, really? <laughs> and this was my voting precinct. Okay. And uh, from time to time, because I didn't have any space, I had a dog, and I would bring my dog over, and we'd play kind of in the backyard <laughs> in the field. And a couple people from the temple here, when I talked to them, said, oh, it's great. Bring your dog over. So it, I have fond memories of being next it, door. Well, now you're inside. And now I got to, I'm got. i finally <laughs> on the inside. So I'm very grateful uh, um, for your hospitality yep. today. Uh, I wanted to do this and just ask some questions and see where the conversation took sure. us. Because I feel like um, there is so much more that unites us than divides us between not just Christianity and Judaism, but really all faiths. There's a lot that we can learn from each other right. in, in many different ways. And so I really appreciate you taking time today. Yeah, thank, to again, be thanks part for of this. having me. Um, I'm going to start out with a hospitality question mm-hmm. and just allow you to answer as you would. Um, maybe think about today on the podcast as though you're talking to people who have never been to a, a temple before and are trying to learn more about it and understanding. Sure. 
And so as I ask you the question, you can kind of just uh, take it from there. And, and I know that that's one of your things you love to do. You've told me is, is tell people right. about right. the faith. So, so the first question I'm going to present to you today is what does your faith say about welcoming the stranger and attending the needs of others? Welcoming the stranger is a very, very, very key tenet in the Jewish tradition. Um, we are told five separate times in the five books of Moses to love the stranger because we were strangers in the land of Egypt. Mm -hmm. And so it's really about uh, empathy. Uh, We know what it's like to be disenfranchised. We know what it's like to be on the outside. So we are commanded um, to love the stranger as ourselves and to pay attention to the needs of the stranger. But even with that, you know, um, we look back to our, our ancestor Abraham, who was the very epitome of hospitality. Mm. Um, our tradition tells us uh, in some of the, what we call the midrash, the backstories of some of the, the biblical narratives, mm. that um, when God called Abraham to uh, call people to him, he would set up his tent at the crossroads. And whenever people would come, he would open up his tent and offer them food and offer them water. And of course, the classic story of that are the three visitors mm. that he, you know, that, that came to his tent. And there's an interesting um, uh, take on that: is that when um, when they showed up, um, God was actually talking to him. Mm. And when they showed up, he he said to God, um, "Excuse me, I'll be with you in a minute. I have to take care of these." Mm-hmm. three visitors, and that's one of the things that um, God really liked about Abraham. Mm-hmm. Um, so that in our tradition, you know, the, the command to Abraham is that um, we be his walking commercials, mm-hmm. we be God's walking commercials. Uh, and, you know, to do that really appropriately, to show God's love, to show God's compassion, to show God's uh, loving kindness we have to do that, particularly mm. for people who are uh, disenfranchised, who are ill, who need help, uh, and who need friends. Yeah, that's man, that's a great answer, and I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. I've experienced your hospitality just being here today. Okay. Um, now, now, let me ask you this follow-up question to that. How has being Jewish shaped your own attitude toward the treatment of the hungry, the homeless, the poor, the sick, and the imprisoned? You probably kind of answered it in that, in what you just yeah. said. But. Our, well, you know, our, our whole approach to living, and it goes to you know, so many other topics I think we could talk about, is that we, we understand our call is to be holy, mm. to, be, to promote sanctity in the world. Mm. And we get that from Leviticus 19. One and two, um, you will be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And in addition to doing the rituals, the ritual commandments that we believe we're commanded to do, um, you know, we're also commanded to, again to make sure that we pay attention to the hungry, to the homeless, um, and again to the disenfranchised. Yeah. Um, and as we were talking about. Um, just a moment ago, um, some of those people, particularly the elderly, mm. and the the elderly who are dealing with dementia, their family, you know, those are people that um, society right now doesn't really know what to do with. Mm. 
And uh, as you kind of mentioned in, in you know, sharing with people my biography, um, I've spent a lot of my years, my professional, my professional life, uh, trying to promote uh, the cause of caring for people with dementia. Mm. Um, because I think those are people that um, are among the most disenfranchised mm. and the most in need of not so much physical care necessarily, but certainly our emotional care and mm. maintaining connections with them. Sure. So are are there ways that you encourage uh, your people that, that you shepherd over, so to speak, um, to to get involved with people like, say, in, in homes that may have dementia and things? And um, I do, and, um, you know, there's, there's a... You can talk to people about how to do it, but it really is a... Think something that people have to come to on their own. It's mm. almost like exercise, mm-hmm. physical exercise. You can talk to people about the the physical benefits of it, and you know, intellectually they get it. Mm-hmm. But until someone really picks up that barbell or gets on the on the um, elliptical, yeah. and really has that experience, you know, they may they may shy away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I've tried to do is really teach people how to communicate mm-hmm. with folks who. Um, no longer have the ability to communicate the way you and I might. Right. Um, to to kind of, what I like to say is, when someone with dementia is talking nonsense, mm-hmm. okay, you have to you have to kind of experience it like you would a rock and roll song. Mm-hmm. Now, what do I mean by that? Okay, uh, those of us who are fans of classic rock and roll remember the melody. We don't necessarily know the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Okay, so people, th- these people may be talking nonsense lyrics. Mm-hmm. But we need to listen to the melody. Mm. We need to listen to how they're saying what they're saying. We need to pay attention to their body language. We need to, it could, because really, when you're talk when when you're talking about maintaining connections with people with dementia and with other elderly people, it's not the, it's it's not necessarily what they're saying. It's how they're saying it, mm. and responding appropriately is going to help you maintain that connection with them. Yeah. Well, I, I had a chance to to read through the the pamphlet you sent me yesterday. I really appreciate that, and it was the paper that the title's leaving me, but it was on uh, Jewish spirituality and, and dementia. Mm-hmm. And um, one thing that I really I loved how you brought out. I, I believe it was um, a man who was suffering with dementia, and his son didn't quite know right. how because he didn't seem like the same dad he'd always had. Exactly. And um, and so part of your ministry to him was helping him understand that this is still dad. He's just perceiving the Absolutely. world differently. Absolutely. And I, I think you brought out, I, I'm not going to be able to quote it for word for word. I should have had it in front of me. But there was a part that you um, referred to it in the same way that everybody seems to have a different way of interpreting spirituality, whether it be a child um, of of various ages, and we wouldn't say, well, because you don't understand the way that we do, we're not going right. to do anything with you in matters of faith or right. anything right. like that. Right. Um, and I liked how you brought that out because I do think sometimes, it, I don't know if it's just this society, but it does feel like often the elderly are thrown away in our society. When we're talking about stories of uh, people with with dementia who. You know, people ask the question, well, do these people still have spiritual needs? And, and mm-hmm. I think in our time, we assume that if a person is spiritual, they are able to articulate that spirituality, and if they're no longer to, are no longer able to, that they no longer have spiritual needs or have the ability to feel mm-hmm. 
from the heart and the soul. Okay, mm-hmm. one of my favorite stories, and and I'm, I'm going to tell the story. It's got a bit of salty language in it, but I, you'll understand the sure. the need for the salty language. Okay. okay. And this is a true story. Um, I heard it at a conference years ago, and I've used it a number of times to make the point. Um, there was a woman who was a member of church, and she was about in her mid-80s. She was living in an assisted living facility. She had dementia. The staff was, was telling uh, the family that uh, she was declining, um, and they really didn't know... Um, how quickly the decline was going to progress. So the family decided that um, if mom was still okay, if she was still able to ambulate and and um, she she could do it, um, they were going to take her to church on Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. She had been a member of this church all of her life, and this was probably going to be the last time she'd be able to experience Christmas Eve at her church. So Christmas Eve came. They all take mom out. Um, her Dementia had progressed. Um, they made proper arrangements. They got her down to the front row. They surrounded her. They kept cueing her to watch the watch the the stage because it was a nativity play. Um, they made sure she wasn't distracted. Um, and it was a nativity uh, again, a, a nativity play. And they were watching mom, and mom's face was just mesmerized. She was just into it. I mean, mm-hmm. totally into it. Yeah. And there was a, a, a time in the nativity play where one of the shepherds comes up to the manger and says in appropriate affect, is it possible that this baby is the one we've been looking for? Mm-hmm. Is it possible this infant really is God's Messiah? This woman, listening to the affect, jumps out of her chair. And at the top of her voice says, of course he is. Any dumb son of a bitch knows that. <laughs> well, you know, hearing that story sure. that comes from a woman with dementia, you tell me she doesn't get it? Yeah, <laughs> right. Emphatically, yeah. Emphatically she yes. does. Okay. So, um, again, that story for me has always been the touchstone of people with dementia do have spiritual... People with dementia do have spiritual needs. Mm-hmm. And we just need to find ways of connecting, sure. you know, keeping them connected. Sure. Um, yeah. We, well, we, we don't do, you know, the, the, the commandment in, in Leviticus 19 says, show deference to the elderly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, it doesn't say clothe them. It doesn't say feed them. It doesn't say keep them in nice places. We do that automatically. Mm-hmm. It says show deference, pay attention to them, keep relations with them, because that's what they need more than anything. Mm. Okay. Wow. They don't, It we, we, we commit a sin in my in my book, we commit a major sin when we ignore them. Yeah. Oh, that, that's so true. And relationship, and I think even taking time to listen, you know, often is is a key thing. Or um, just being in the presence of people, we take that so for granted. And we've become, in many ways, a lot of us in the society so internalized that right. we forget that that's such a need. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, very good. Well, I I could talk more about this for sure, and I think you're saying some really good things. But I want to get into some sure. uh, other areas of our conversation. But the the more we talk, the more I just think about more things on this topic <laughs> that so fascinate me. Um, but but I'll just I guess leave this topic by saying I love that you are 
incorporating that into what you do because I do feel like there is a, a real need that we make sure people don't get left behind. And I loved how you said that paying deference to them. It's, it's more than just clothing them and giving them food. Totally. They, they need relationship yeah. and, and they need help. So oh, very good. Um, so let's talk about eating and drinking a little bit. Cel- sure. Celebrating. I'm mm-hmm. always interested in the different ways that we commemorate and celebrate and do things together. Um, so the question I have for you is, how do people of your faith engage in feasting and fasting to celebrate or commemorate special religious events? This may be um, actually of interest to a lot of our listeners because we're right now as Christians in the middle of the season of Lent where there's a lot of fasting that happens. Right. Right. And Sunday is always a feast day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd love to hear just, you know, from that about how your people engage in feasting and fasting. That's an excellent question. You know, for us, it's really about how do we mark the sacredness of time. Mm. Um, for for us in the Jewish tradition, um, we are commanded to sanctify time. And sometimes we sanctify it by feasting. Mm. And we're commanded to, um, particularly around the holiday of uh, tabernacles of Sukkot, we are told specifically that we are to celebrate and we mm-hmm. are to we are to um, give thanks to God for the bounty. It's basically the holidays are Jewish Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. uh, and on on a holiday like that, we're, for us, you know, as you all are in the Lent season and coming up on uh, Easter, we're getting ready for Passover, right. and for Passover, for us specifically, um, we are to um, to, to remember the exodus from Egypt specifically by feasting. Mm-hmm. You know, we sit around the, uh, the table and we take our time. We tell the story of the exodus from Egypt and we weave in eating certain ceremonial foods. Mm-hmm. Um, and in ancient times, as, as I'm sure your listeners know, um, our ancestors did that in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Um, they basically um, grilled a lamb chop Mm. (laughs) and shared uh, the Passover offering Mm. in in family groups. Uh, We don't don't do the lamb thing anymore because Mm. the temple is no longer standing, Um, but we do get together in family groups, and um, it's basically a a celebration at at Passover, as it is on any given Sabbath Friday night, Mm -hmm. Um, sitting around the table, ideally... um, um, having a wonderful meal um, to the point where people sometimes unbuckle their pants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'll tell you, I, I was at a, a Passover meal where my uncle uh, had eaten so much um, that he unbuckled his pants, and we were in the conversation. He forgot he unbuckled his pants. He stood up, and his pants fell down. <laughs> okay. And we all had a good laugh, but he was really enjoying himself and, sure. and doing what he was supposed to do. On the other hand, there are other days during the year when sanctifying time means that we engage in fasting. Mm. And the, the fast that most people know of is the Day of Atonement, mm. um, which we are commanded to abstain not only from eating but from um, from marital relations and from anything that causes us um, to feel physically good. Yeah. Um, there are other days... Uh, in the calendar year that commemorate historical tragedies in Jewish history when we're also supposed to fast. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, this is all about, again, sanctifying time. Yeah. And, you know, as Ecclesiastes, to paraphrase, there's a time to be happy, there's a time to be sad. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this question that relates to fasting, because in in Christianity, and 
I go to many different churches. I travel a lot. I do music. I do things mm-hmm. like that. It seems like everybody has a different idea about what fasting is, how long it's supposed to last, how long it's supposed to go. Uh, and I've heard multiple different things. You know, yeah. no, it's a 40-day fast, so we're not going to eat anything for 40 days. Right. I'm like, how do you do that? Right. You know, right. I mean, um, so a, a typical Jewish fast, if you have a fast day, does it run from sundown to sunup? Mm-hmm. Does it, I, I'm just curious as to how you approach fasting. Well, there are two typical Jewish fast days. Okay. Two, okay, and they have both have to do with time. One is the... We call it 25-hour fast. It's mm-hmm. a little, about an hour longer than sundown to sundown. Okay. And that would be the fast of um, the Day of Atonement. Okay. There are other fasts that are more sun up to sundown. Mm. Okay. Um, and those are fasts that are not biblically ordained, but they are ordained by the sages. And those, okay. again, tend to be more related to historical events and not to biblically ordained God-commanded fasts like okay. the Day of Atonement. Um the question is, how are they observed? Um, biblically ordained fast, we are uh, not supposed to eat or drink anything for that amount of time. Yeah. Um, there are exceptions. I mean, if someone is needs to take medication or someone needs to eat, mm-hmm. um, obviously exceptions are made. But sure. uh, one is expected to do the best one can, literally in good faith. Sure. Um, uh, if one has to eat <clears throat> or drink, um, you drink water, you don't drink a Coke. Yeah, okay? right. Uh, if you have to eat, you have a, a piece of, of bread or an apple, you don't have, a, you know, a hamburger. Hmm. Um, so, again, it's got to be, I would say, in the, with the right frame of mind. Yeah. Well, that's that's very interesting to me. I've always... I, being that we're in, in Protestant churches even are so different than Catholic churches or Orthodox churches are different things. And so I feel like half the time uh, we're we're trying to, to get back to a, a place we were before and trying to figure out fasting half the time. And so we come to a season of Lent. And for the longest time, because the particular denomination I'm in, the Nazarene Church, we didn't do Lent for the longest time. It was, yeah, it's that was so, my understanding. So it's, I was a little bit surprised you yeah, all are it, doing we've, it. That's we've great. kind of turned a corner, and we're, we're getting back to a lot of the liturgical practices and things. In many ways, just sort of broadly across evangelicalism, I think. But one thing I didn't know growing up was I always thought the entire 40 days plus Sundays I had to be fasting. I didn't know Sunday was always considered a feast day, mm-hmm. you know, and I was I, and I was so relieved like three years ago when I realized, oh, I don't have to fast on <laughs> Sunday. Right. But It's the same it's, for us on the Sabbath. Yeah. When, when, uh, you know, and the, the only exception is that when the Day of Atonement does fall on the Sabbath, we have to fast. Yeah. But when other fast days fall on the Sabbath, the fast day is, is pushed to the next day. Yeah. Okay, because the Sabbath, except for the Day of Atonement, the Sabbath always takes precedent. And well, I love that you actually take time to do feasts too. That you actually eat together because oh, yeah. uh, we we may not understand how critical that is, but how even countercultural that is in a fast totally. food world. Totally, what that means that we would and families are doing their own yeah, thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, how many meals are eaten on the go in the back seat of a car while right. mom or dad drives down the street or something? And uh, sometimes it can't be helped yeah. because of people's lifestyle. Right. But I love the idea that we. Um, we would make a part of our faith that we actually have to stop and take time together to share a meal. Right, and even along those lines, even if we're not able to share a meal together, just you know, when you talk about fast food, I always have the the image of people stopping, stuffing their faces, and moving on. Yeah. Okay, 
not even taking the time to thank God. Yeah. You know, say grace. In our tradition, interestingly enough, we're taught that saying grace after you eat right. is more important than saying grace before you eat. Mm. Okay, why is that? Because, you know, before you eat, you're naturally going to be thankful because you're hungry. Mm-hmm. Okay. But as Scripture reminds us, after someone's belly's full, they have a tendency to forget. Yeah. You know, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I was hungry, and yeah, but now I'm full, and I'm going to go on about me. That's the time when we're commanded. That's when you thank God. Yeah. You know, when your belly's full. Excellent. I actually was going to bring that up, so I'm glad you brought it up <laughs> first. I like the idea of taking time after the meal to give thanks. That's fantastic. That's a, that's a sign of humility, I think. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Yeah. It would It would do us all good to figure that out. For sure, we're we're at the point just to tell you a funny story. Um, uh, my son's four years old, and we we're trying to to teach him different things. He's learning how to sing. He's learning all right. kinds of different things at this point in life. Uh, sometimes you can understand what he's saying. Sometimes you can't. But we're trying to do consistent uh, prayers at the table, you know, so that he can learn the right. prayers when we pray them together. And he's he's still just not quite there with this. He keeps looking at us saying, no, you say it. <laughs> you, you say it, you know. Uh, but the last few times we've done it, he's said about half the prayer with us and actually says it at mealtime. And so I'm, I'm grateful uh, because I, I think the table, if nothing else, uh, a, a fellowship aside, I think the table can be a teaching moment too. It can help us oh. to be such a way to, to teach you our know, children. It, actually, our tradition teaches that if people sit together at a meal and words of Torah, words, you know, religious discussion doesn't mm-hmm. take place. One rabbi makes the statement, it may be hyperbole, he says, it's like worshiping idols. Mm. It's like the meal was not for God's sake, it was wow. for, you know, for, for uh, dedicated to, to idolatry because nothing about God was mentioned. Wow, that's powerful. Yeah. That's a powerful thought. I, for I, sure. wish, I wish we could do, do that more. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's move on to a, a different topic. Um, that is another thing I know after reading your bio you care about. Uh, but caring for your body and honoring, yeah. <laughs> honoring your body. And I have been increasingly doing that a lot more. I've been working out a lot. I've, over the last about three years, I've uh, lost and kept off about 50 pounds. Good for you. And, God and bless. And <laughs> been very uh, adamant about, you know, this is, it's not only for health reasons, but I feel like it, it honors God in the way that Truly. you know we we do this, and yeah. I feel better about myself. You know, so I'm wearing a pant size I haven't worn since high school. So that's it's just I'm feeling much better Truly. about life. Uh, so it's a past, it's a, a topic I like to talk about too. So let me just ask you this question: How does your faith teach respect for life and respect for the human body? Well, the human body is for. Um, for Jewish tradition, the human body is sacred. Mm-hmm. I mean, when when we're taught, you know, we're created in, in God's image. Um, I know many religious say, well, that's really about the soul, and the body's just the 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 the, the vessel. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, our tradition says both. Not that the human body really that God has a body, but it's part of who we are, right. and therefore it is intrinsically sacred. And that's why, you know, in traditional Judaism, uh, cremation is prohibited. Hmm. Um, because um, our, our teaching is that you don't burn something that's sacred. Mm. You burn garbage mm. to dispose of it, but you treat to, to burn something would be to, to treat it disrespectfully. Mm. 
and that's why in tradition, Jewish tradition, the, the body itself is is buried, mm. uh, um, so that it, it naturally decomposes. Yeah. Um, in terms of caring for the body, we are we're taught that um, our bodies are not our own. Mm. We we are we you know they're given to us in stewardship. And therefore, we have a responsibility to take care of them mm. the best we can. Um, on the one hand, we are, you know, we're supposed to do whatever we can to keep them healthy. Um, and we're not supposed to do anything that will harm them. Mm. Um, because, again, they're not, they're not really ours. Yeah. They're, they're given to us instead. They're not garbage. I like how you yeah. put it that yeah. way. Um, now, in terms of exercise, I, I got to tell you, I came to exercise. Um, I, I was never an athlete in school. Mm. I was pretty much couch potato. Yeah. Um, and in my mid-30s, I started um, working out and found that I really liked it. Um, I will admit to being a bit of a compulsive about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's, it's more about keeping the discipline. Mm-hmm. And also, I know that once, you know, whenever I do, my mind gets clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I try to, to make that time, in, rather than see it as, uh, you know... This is for um, my own my own ego, and this is for God. Mm-hmm. I, I try to make my exercise time um, again something sacred. Hmm. Well, and I, I I'm with you there on that because I uh, just because of our schedules, I get up most mornings about four a.m. to start there you go. my routine. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it just has to happen mm-hmm. that way, and it takes me a couple hours to get through the routine. I do, um, but I found that. It's actually helped my spiritual life, too, in the sense that um, I'm, I'm big into memorizing prayers. I don't, I don't just mm-hmm. uh, anymore. I don't try to be extemporaneous as much because I want valuable things to be coming sure. <laughs> from my lips to God. Sure, sure. So I start prayers that I've memorized in the morning, and, and I've, I pray them from my heart. And I, I've gotten to the point after about a, a year of doing this particular way of praying along with getting up to work out about that first 30 minutes of even waking up in the morning, I start my prayer time, and I just start saying it. Nobody else is awake yet. It's just me. And uh, as I'm getting my clothes changed, I'm heading for the gym, I start going through different prayers. Father God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God of Israel, hear my prayer. You know, I just begin. And almost like I, I believe it's what's called the Amidah uh, in, in the Jewish tradition. Um, but I find that in the mornings, even though, I mean, I, I don't like getting up at 4 but I do find, and and even the workout I don't always like. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> it can be difficult. I um, but it's so helpful to me, and it's and I have found that even that routine itself. I told you before that we we lost my grandmother who had dementia yeah. last year. When I was at my grandmother's bedside, or um, or even this past um, year, my wife and I we went through two different miscarriages. When mm, you know, and thank you. Um, but in those moments, I was finding that those prayers just began to flow out of me, you know. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it came from making a, a steady routine, a discipline oh, yeah. of, like, doing it and getting up to right. work out right. and getting up to pray and doing those things. And I do think they can really go hand in yeah. hand together. In, in fact, and I, I've said to folks, um, um, exercise and prayer are very, very similar because they are discipline. And sometimes, no, you don't feel it. You mm-hmm. say the words, but you don't feel it. We have a concept of what's called keva and kavana. Keva is the, is the the prayers that you memorize. Mm-hmm. The kavana is the devotion that you're supposed to bring to that. Well, mm-hmm. you know, you and I both know that sometimes 
if you're in an exercise routine, you want you do it, but you're not really into it. But mm. you know, if you stop it, you're yeah. gonna you're gonna backslide. Right. Okay. And it's 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 basically the same thing. You, mm-hmm. you, if you want to get spiritually stronger, you got to keep up the discipline. If you yeah. want to get physically stronger, you got to keep up the discipline. Yeah. All my evangelical listeners are going to be thrilled that you just said the word backslide. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to add a, a footnote to this: that, that this is really an interesting um, conversation because um, I'm friends on Facebook with um, a woman whose brother is a big physical fitness celebrity. Mm. Okay, and she she does her own, I mean she has her own following, mm-hmm. and somehow I've I've gotten to be. Facebook friends with her, and she posted something last week that basically said, you know, if you're if you're observing Lent and you want to maintain your health, this is what you can. And so I I messaged her. I, I didn't want to embarrass her, so mm-hmm. I, I probably I said I said uh, I noticed you posted something about Lent. I said, do you observe Lent? And she sheepishly said, I'm Catholic. I observe. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what she thought I was going to say if I was going to, you know, come down on her and, and criticize her. I said, I said, good for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I said, you know, it's good. It, it, I, I'm, I'm happy to see celebrities, and she's a celebrity. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to see celebrities who are humble. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Who, you know, she's really into physical fitness. She wants people to be physically fit. She. Her brother's a big, you know, and, and some of her no- notoriety is because of him. Mm. And yet she knows that this, that physical fitness is not everything. Mm. That there's got to be room for God. Right. Got to be room for God. Well, that, that'll that uh, take us into this next topic. We've just got a few more minutes. I, I made way too many questions, so we'll have to do a lot of I hope of we can do this again. Time. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, but I, I love talking about every topic we've talked about today, actually. But um, I want to I want to just get back to it's really in this same in this same topic that we're discussing. But I, I can't get away from something you just said a few minutes ago about we are not garbage. You mm-hmm. know, we don't burn garbage. And um, I, I would love to know. You know, we we are in a world, as you know, you just said Facebook, so that's one of the huge ways that we communicate mm-hmm. and see the world mm-hmm. oftentimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We get mixed messages from the media about our worth, you know, and about who we are, or that we are worthless so we don't measure up because we don't look like a famous bodybuilder right, right. or things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering, like, as, as a person of faith, um, how is... How does that um, translate when you're when you're talking to people about their self image or about their self care and their yeah. their personal adornment or whatever mm-hmm. it may be? You know? Two things, and they may seem um, contradictory, but they're not really. Mm-hmm. Um, we should do what we can to be attractive to other people because that's if if we if we're not. Um, we may not have an opportunity then to connect with them. Mm-hmm. Okay. By the same token, it shouldn't be our total focus. Right. Okay. Um, you know, as you indicated, our our culture pays a whole lot of attention to physical beauty and physical appearance. And I think to go back to something we were talking about a few minutes ago, I think that's one of the reasons that you know our elderly are shunned aside. 
because mm. one of the things they've lost is physical beauty and, you know, uh, stamina, um, and, therefore, and therefore people ignore them. Mm. Um, but again, their souls are, are still vibrant. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 66 this week, wow. okay? Um, I still feel like I'm 22, mm. okay? But I also know that when I interact with people, and I can tell this, you know, when a, when a 35-year-old woman calls me sir, um, I know what's going on, yeah. you know. I, I, I could tell her I don't feel 66, mm-hmm. okay, um, but I'm the age of her father, yeah. you know, and she's going to treat me um, either respectfully or she's going to ignore me like she would any other 66-year-old. Yeah. You know right. what I'm saying? Right, exactly. Um, and I think that's really that's really a shame because, um, again, God doesn't make garbage. Mm. And, you know, if, if we're in this world, it's one of the, one of the, the, the problems of um, the whole ethics of um, assisted suicide. Mm. Um, you know, when, when people, and, and I'm not getting into the physical pain thing, okay, mm-hmm. but when someone says, you know, I can, do with, I can do with my life what I want, and um, I don't need to be around anymore. Mm. Um, if you're a God-fearing person, uh, a God-revering person, um, I would think you'd want to say, well, if I'm still here, God must have need for me here. Mm. Uh, and even if I'm lying in a bed comatose, but I'm not, I, God hasn't taken me yet, mm-hmm. my life still has a purpose. It may be, you know, the people caring for me, I'm giving them an opportunity to learn more patience, more compassion, um, to, to better do what they do. Mm. You know, um, I'm not just taking from them, I'm giving back. Mm. Um, and I think that's something we don't, we don't yeah. remember a lot. Yeah, then, and, you know, so often our society throws around the word, you know, the words pro-life, pro-choice, things like that. And, and often when we say pro-life, I think we mean pro-birth. And we're mm-hmm. not thinking about those <laughs> other aspects of, of, of right. that we really are, uh, especially because if we believe Scripture that we're created in the image of God, then there's something of value truly there. When God created the world, what did he say? I mean, the, the difference between yes. the Bible and a science book is the right. Bible gives an evaluation of what's there. Right. You know, it is God good. saw it is good. Yeah. Science yeah. doesn't tell us that. Science yeah. just tells us what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you had just said something, and it and it sparked something else, and then um, I forgot what it was. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll think of it if, if I sit here long enough, because it makes for good listening when a person just uh, meanders in their thoughts. Um, well, I've I've lost what the train of thought was, but I I appreciate your answers so much. They're so good. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of head to where I was gonna head for for wrapping up today, um, just because I want to not take too much time and maybe save more for another podcast. I hope we can do this down again. The future. I'm I've really, a great time. I, have really, I hope folks who are listening are having a good time. Yeah, I've really been enjoying it and there's a real um, I, I feel very uh, at ease in your presence, I guess. Good. And so it's, it's, it's not always like that when you meet somebody for the first time, but I, I, I feel very kindred in that way. Um, I you hope know, I'm following to, Abraham's example. All right, very good. <laughs> how how about a couple different things, and then we'll yeah. we'll close out. Um, I'm a musician, so yeah. music is always interesting to me, um, and so I'd, I'd love to ask you a question about music in particular. Um, what are some of the ways that 
people of your faith tradition use music or other rituals to symbolize life events or significant religious events? Good question. Well, um, it's a very interesting question. It's, it's got a different aspects of an answer. Um, music traditionally was always a very important part of um, expressing joy and gratitude to God. I mean, David was a musician. Uh Um, Throughout the Psalms, it says, sing to God, sing to God, sing to God, play music on the lyre and the harp and whatever other musical instruments that were. So so singing and dancing is is a big, big part. Hmm. Um, When the temple, the holy temple was destroyed in the year 70, um, the rabbinic sages um, declared that since the temple, that holy spot, is no longer in existence. Um, instrumental music was going to be suspended. Hmm. Okay. And in most traditional synagogues, that is still the case. When you hmm. when you go to a worship service in a traditional synagogue, uh, by the way, we're not. We're a mm-hmm. Reformed synagogue, so we do have music. Okay. Um, on our holidays, we have um, keyboard um, Friday night, I play guitar nice. um, and you know try to to use you know kind of recreate that kind of that kind of atmosphere but um you know tr- traditionally, the idea was that um with the absence of the temple, our joy is lessened, mm-hmm. and one of the ways that 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 the the sages said that that should be expressed is to suspend music, you know, actual instrumental music. Hmm. Um, and so in traditional synagogues, you're going to see that. When you go to a worship service, uh, everything will be a cappella. Hmm. Um, uh, having experienced both, um, depending on my prayer mood, I like both. Hmm. Um, uh, there are times when I appreciate the a cappella in the more meditative stance, and there are times when I like to rock out. Yeah. <laughs> so any any particular... And I'm a drummer also, by... Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. Fantastic. That's, that's my, my, my first instrument. I'm a wannabe drummer. I'm much more of a guitar <laughs> player than a piano player. You and I need but, to get together. Uh, yeah, we should. That's for sure. Is, is there a particular song or hymn that comes to mind when, when you think of your faith? Like something that... Um, I would say probably, you know, you're asking me, um, uh, probably because it's Friday, we're getting ready for the Sabbath, I would say Psalm 92. Psalm 92. Very good. Uh, song for the Sabbath. Uh, uh, it is good to give thanks to the Lord to sing yeah. to His, you know, to sing to Him almost high. All right. Yeah. You know what? I should have brought it with me. I, I live down the road. I'll bring it by. But I did an album all, of all Psalms. Um, oh, really? Yeah. It's called Basement Psalms. It's a it's a live album. We recorded it at the uh, Clifton Opera House, wow. and it was it was it was my best interpretation of sort of making modern. Music along with some of the passages from different psalms. Oh, I use I use two um, two psalms from each of the five sections of the book of Psalms because mm-hmm. I didn't want to sing 150 psalms <laughs> in the, in the, the concert. But, um, but yeah, so I'll have to bring that by sometime. But that's that's really good to hear. I love to hear that. Um, I remembered where I was going to go before okay. before I get to my final question. You had made reference to. Um, the, the fear of the Lord, a person who fears the Lord yeah. or reveres the Lord. Yeah. I, I'd love to talk about that because I think the idea of fear actually leads into my final question. Um, we sometimes have 
what I think is a distorted view of who God is oftentimes because maybe we misinterpret um, what the word fear means often. We Amen. talk about the fear Amen. of the Lord. Amen. And Amen. I wonder if you could help us understand that more yeah. clearly because when, when our society thinks of fear, we might be thinking of like, a horror movie and like fear this monster that's going to be coming for right. you and that's but, the way people experience god don't they right the so so as as a, a jewish person a rabbi as you're talking to someone about fear of yeah. the lord how would you describe oh, that i'm so glad you asked that yeah. and maybe we save the best for last maybe maybe so <laughs> the hebrew word for fear in this context is yirah um, now yirah can mean fear it can also mean reverence mm. When you revere something, you don't take, um, you respect its boundaries, mm. okay? You don't get too familiar with it. You know, we're supposed to revere our parents, we're supposed to honor our parents, okay? And that means you don't, you don't take, you, you don't take them for granted, and you don't get too familiar, you don't call them by their first name, you don't curse them, you don't treat them like you would your best friend, mm-hmm. okay? It's a different kind of relationship. Right. If that relationship is violated, there's going to be some significant consequences. Mm. And I think that's where the be afraid part comes in. Mm-hmm. We're not supposed to be afraid of God. Okay. Um, that leads into the whole question about, uh, and I know that, that a lot of people understand, the God of the Old Testament is an angry God. Okay. And I've often thought about that. Well, why do people get angry? Well, mm. Anger anger is not a primary emotion. It's a secondary emotion. Mm. Okay, anger comes from the entity that is angry feeling betrayed. Mm. Okay, So we have to understand, at least from our tradition, we understand that when God gets angry, okay, we're talking about God's anger, Okay, he's just not getting angry because he's angry. Mm-hmm. He's getting angry because he feels betrayed by us. Mm. Okay. He's told us exactly what he wants us to do. And on the one hand, we say, yeah, we're going to do it, and then we go do something else. Um, you know, we, we tend to, our tradition, we understand our relationship with God as being that of not just best friends, but almost a, uh, a spouse. And we mm. go back to the, the book of Hosea, mm. okay, where that relationship is talked yeah. about. Okay. When God gets angry, it's it's like, you know, if, if your person who you love betrays you, aren't you going to have some feelings about that? Yeah. And and why wouldn't we expect God to be upset when we're unfaithful? Yeah. Um, and and yet even in that Hosea passage, and, and it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture, um, and, and what a powerful image it is that, God has Hosea marry a prostitute, yeah. you know, to, to yeah, show that. Yeah. And yet there's a passage, and I'm, I'm going to butcher it because my memory's just bad on things sometimes, but the gist of it is that even with what God knows of his bride, his people, <laughs> he still says, but I will woo her back to right, me. Right, right. He think hasn't about, divorced us. And I, yeah, and I think about that, and I think that is one of the most beautiful loving things, true love, not just a felt love, but a deeper love that goes to the core. Why should God be the one that would want to woo back the one that was unfaithful? Shouldn't the one who was unfaithful just knock themselves over trying to, you know, to go back? So that's where we see God's patience. Yes. You know, I'm going to wait for you. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to wait for you. I'm going to be faithful. Okay. I love you. 
I want you, I'm going to wait for you. Yeah. Um, it's not just about God being angry. Yeah. Um, and it's really unfortunate that's where people go. Yeah. Um, I mean, it almost sounds like you know God has this this personality disorder. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> you know, he just you know he's angry all the time. Well, that's yeah. not the way it works. People, yeah. The opposite of love is not hate; it's indifference. Yeah. And when God is experiencing our being indifferent, yeah. You know, if 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 that's where we and you know did. If, if we were experiencing the same thing from someone who we cared about, yeah. we thought cared about us, yeah. we feel the same emotion. Yeah, and it's yeah we feel those emotions because there is relationship there, and exactly. that's that's good stuff. That was that was a wonderful. Thank you for yeah. explaining that. That was right in line. Uh, well, let me let me do the last thing, and this has to do with with solidarity. And I'm going to read a bit that I wrote in okay. my question, but I but it's something I really care about. Um, r- recently. Um, we've seen through news, through other places around the country, uh, graffiti has been sprayed on, on Jewish community centers. Um, there's been even, you know, a lot of the graffiti calling the Holocaust fake. Um, there's been numerous bomb threats to Jewish community centers. Jewish graves have been vandalized. Uh, and sadly, the list goes on and on. And, um, so persecution of Jewish people is not something new to the world, unfortunately. Um, so this question to me is one of the most important things that I think our listeners could take from this. I hope. It's something I care deeply about. In your mind, what can those of us who are not Jewish do to support and show solidarity with our Jewish brothers and sisters? <clears throat> in times Thank like you for these? asking that question. Um, we could probably spend a month on that. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, first of all, to, to, to call it out, um, when it happens, mm-hmm. um, to encourage people to understand the causes of anti-Semitism, which, by the way, a lot of folks, including Jews, believe that the roots of anti-Semitism are religious in nature, mm-hmm. that they have to do with you know the Jewish people n- never accepting Jesus as the Messiah. Um, actually, anti-Jewish feeling predates Christianity. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, there's evidence of it in Egyptian literature and Greek literature and Roman literature and of course you know with all due respect um, you know Islamic literature is also f- full of anti-Jewish mm-hmm. sentiment um, and there's plenty of it in Christianity too oh, that's, yeah, that's for sure yeah um, there's a book if people really want to understand um the reasons why in, in modern times you know it's been Jews have been accused of being um, capitalists and they've been accused of being communists well those are two mutually exclusive <laughs> right. uh, approaches to ec- economy right. um, how do you do both yeah. uh, and why are people saying you're either one or the other um, gentleman by the name of Dennis Prager who some of your listeners may listen to because he's on the radio uh, many years ago, he wrote a book with Rabbi uh, Joseph Telushkin called "Why the Jews." Hmm. Okay, and they undertook to answer the question: Why is there anti-Semitism among groups that believe different things themselves? Hmm. Okay, communists hate capitalists. Capitalists hate communists. There's hmm. always been a war between Islam and Christianity going back. You know, to the beginning of, of Islam. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, 
why are the Jews always in the middle? Uh, and their answer uh, is basically this, that it's because of who the Jews have always represented, and that is God. Hmm. Um, even Jews who are atheists, okay, collectively that's who they represent. And it's ironic that religious communities that also say they, they want to do God's will, you know, are have always attacked God's people. Hmm. Um, we didn't ask to be God's people. Yeah. Um, we still don't know why we were chosen, and we're told that it wasn't because we were worthy. Hmm. Um, uh, you know, unfortunately, there are Jews who believe, yeah, you know, we're, we're God's chosen, so that must be must be we're privileged. Hmm. Well, no, it doesn't. Okay. Hmm. We go back to the, the the chapter three of Amos, which. I've had to remind people of more times than I care to admit where God says, you know, you alone have I known of all the people, therefore I'm, I will hold you responsible. It's like, mm. it's like, you know, the parents saying to the elder sibling, uh, you and I have been around longer than your siblings and I have been around and therefore you're responsible, you're the oldest, mm. I'm going to hold you responsible. Right. Okay. So that tells us what we're obligate, what our obligation is to God, and what our obligation is to our siblings. Mm. Okay, and it's not to say, well, guess what? I'm the oldest. Yeah, uh, I'm privileged. I can go to bed later than you guys. You know? <laughs> no, and and there may be some resentment. Some, you know, on a psychological level, there may yeah. be some resentment. Well, and that. and as as kids who had siblings, you know, they're listening to this, the thing, and I know what being the oldest means. That means I have to change the diapers half the time. <laughs> you know, I have to go in and take care right. of the the younger one. And boy, it doesn't feel so special, but that's um, absolutely. I've, and, I've heard, and, and and that's what happens to us, yeah. basically. Yeah, and I've it and I've heard. I think it was you know one of our Christian theologians, N. T. Wright, um, who was referring to the chosenness of the Jewish people, and he said, you know, when we think of the idea of chosenness. Um, it's it's not so much that God favors this people and thinks them so much better than anybody else. It's the idea that hey, I've chosen you to carry this light totally into the world, and and, and to, it's a it's a burden. Yeah, it's it's a heavy thing. It is, and um, I mean, we're called to do things that other people aren't called to do, and it doesn't mean that it's right or wrong. Mm-hmm. It's just we're called to do different. Yeah, yeah and sure. everyone's got their place in the family. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Well, this has been a real treat uh, for me, honestly, and it's. Been I appreciate great. the opportunity again. It's been wonderful, and uh, and I and I don't know how else to to say it other than just to say, um, I, I stand with you in solidarity. Thank you. And when things like this come up, I've tried to talk about it on my podcast and say, you know, when I see graves being knocked over or when I do, you know, just whatever, um, who knows what it may be. We, we should can, be people who stand against injustice no matter yeah, what it is. Can I, can I just say one more thing? Sure. Because you, you mentioned the graves um, knocked over, uh, and I don't want to get too political, but it's hard not to here. Sure. There are folks who are very upset about graves being knocked over. Mm-hmm. When it comes to supporting the state of Israel, they're not so supportive. Mm. And what happens is that sometimes it, it the message is, we're going to care when it's about dead Jews, mm. but when it comes to live Jews mm. and their welfare, uh, we may not be there for you. Yeah. Um, so, ask going back to your question, sure. what can, what can the Christian community do? 
is to understand that you know Israel um, was created so that Jews who were persecuted would have a place to be. Mm-hmm. Number one, number two, that to try to fulfill the covenant, the scriptural covenant of being a holy people in a holy land. Mm-hmm. Um, we're now better able to do that hmm. and we just want the opportunity uh, mm. we don't want to we don't want to persecute other people we want to live in peace but we haven't been able to hmm. and, and the way the way stories are spun it's still hard yeah yeah it's hard boy stories are spun aren't they my it's goodness <laughs> for yes, sure well, that sounds like a whole other topic that we should get into sure, on another podcast. There's so many things we could talk about. But, um, well, this has been a real privilege. Thank you for making my 200th episode so special. I appreciate this, it again. This, this was wonderful. I, I, I love the opportunity to talk, and uh, um, I hope you have me back. Yeah, I hope so, too. And I say this to my guests every time they're on. Thank you for being one of the voices in my head this week. Thanks. Thank you for joining me here this week on the Voices in My Head podcast. I hope you'll visit me on my website at rickleyjames.com, follow me on Twitter at rickleyjames, like my artist page on Facebook at facebook.com slash rickleyjames, and keep up to date on what I'm writing at my author page on amazon.com. Make sure to follow my calendar on the website, and if you would like to have me come to your town to do a concert, a speaking engagement, or a book event, you can book me through my website by clicking on the link for Pair Booking Agency. That's P-A-R-E Booking. And finally, it would mean the world to me if you were to leave me a review of this podcast on iTunes. The more positive reviews that we receive, the more visible this podcast is on the internet. And now the benediction. May the God of peace who raised Christ from the dead strengthen your inner being for every good work. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest upon you and dwell within you this day and forevermore. Amen.